The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Dr. Peter Boylan is with me, the former master of the National Maternity Hospital at Hollis Street, uh, to talk about the UK's first ever successful womb transplant. Uh, Peter, you're very welcome to the show and thank you for, for joining me. Um, how significant is this success? Well, it's the first one in the UK, but it has been going for quite some time in other places around the world. And Sweden was really the first place to have a successful series of womb transplants resulting in in birth of healthy babies. And that was back in 2014. It's only nine years ago, mind you. And since then, there's been about 100 successful transplants around the world and about 50 babies, uh, healthy babies, reported from those. So it's still relatively early. And obviously, if it's the first one in the UK, well, it's it's very new surgery and new technology mm. and so on. How complicated is the surgery then? If it's been around since, what did you say, 2012, so kind of 11 odd years, but only the first one now in the UK, I take it it's not entirely straightforward. It's not. No. And, and surgery like that would begin with a lot of research on animals. And that goes back to the late 1990s or even before then. And then um, the first in a human was in 2000 in Saudi Arabia, but that was not successful and uh, the womb had to be removed after three months. So the, the surgery itself is, is delicate because you have to dissect out blood vessels uh, from the donor uh, very delicately, and then they have to be joined up to blood vessels in the recipient woman who's receiving the donated womb. So it's very um, tricky surgery, basically, but you would have two teams working together. So one team would be removing the uterus, and then the other team would would start to do the transplant. Um, But the whole thing might take up to, uh, you know, 17 hours or more. So it's not uh, not for the faint-hearted. No, I can't imagine as well it's, it's, it's easy for those carrying out the procedure. It's not, no. And, you know, the surgery is only one bit of it. So before the surgery happens, because the whole purpose, obviously, is so that a woman can have children, uh, is that she would undergo IVF. And once that's successful and the search is on for a donor, then she has the surgery where um, the womb is transplanted into her. And then she goes on, on to immunotherapy. And then they've got to wait a while, you know, maybe up to a year to see, is it taking are there any complications and so on? And then they will implant um, embryos or a, an embryo, preferably only one. And then when that pregnancy gets to a, a particular stage, they'll do a cesarean section to deliver the baby. And then um, after a maximum of two is the current sort of guidelines, and uh, they would remove the, the uterus and she would, could stop taking the immunosuppression. And again, you know, taking immunosuppression leaves you liable to infection. So, for example, during COVID, uh, it would not have been very wise to to undergo this sort of treatment. So, what? So what? Not, not sorry, I was just going to ask what 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 types of conditions leading to infertility would w- would this be able to deal with? Well, there's an unusual condition where a woman is born without a womb um, because that of her body doesn't develop at all. She may have ovaries, for example, and a vagina, but not have a womb, not have a uterus. 
or she may have had surgery to remove her uterus at a young age, perhaps because of a tumour. For example, cervical carcinoma might be an, an example of that. Uh, or she might have had her uterus removed following, um, say, hemorrhage following delivery of her first baby. So those are the sort of situations where, where somebody um, would be eligible, if you like, or would want to undergo this, this procedure. How likely is it that we will see this at some stage in an Irish hospital? Or rather, how likely in the foreseeable future that we might see it? Well, I think it'll probably take a long time. And that's kind of similar to all surgical developments. It takes a while, um, you know, for it to settle down uh, into becoming a standard type of treatment. And IVF was exactly the same. It started in the UK and then it took several years for people to train and to become comfortable with it to get, understand the nuances. And so the same thing would happen uh, with surgery like this. And you'd have to have Irish surgeons going to possibly to Sweden where they have a lot of experience or to the United States where there's several uh, institutions in, in Houston and Texas, for example, is one uh, to train in the technique. And because it's not a very um, frequent procedure, uh, that could take some time. And then they would have to come back to Ireland and uh, liaise with people who, you know, are going to donate um, a uterus and also then with the medical team for the immunotherapy side of things mm. and also with an IVF clinic. So it's a whole sort of complicated thing. So I, I presume eventually, uh, yes, um, just like IVF now is, is very well recognised and, and available widespread in Ireland, um, but not in the near future. So when you say liaise with a donor, we're talking about living donors here, are we? Usually living, yeah, and that's often a relation. It could be the woman's mother, it could be a sister, um, or sometimes from a, somebody who's died. Uh, perhaps in a road traffic accident, the same way that you get kidney transplants and other transplants, heart transplants and so on. Obviously not a heart transplant mm. from a living donor, but uh, from, from people who have died. But to, to get it from a mother, I mean, uh, the, the age of the womb, would that not be a drawback? Well, there's been some successful transplants from women who are in the menopause, uh, you know, donating their womb. Uh, in, over the in the menopause, and putting it into a younger woman and having a successful pregnancy, so it doesn't seem to be a bar to it. It doesn't seem to be a barrier. And whether the donor, well, if the donor is the mother, uh, it, it it goes without saying they have had children. So I, I I guess the question then whether it matters if they have or had not, if that womb has has been used for that for that purpose, uh, is a moot one, is it? I don't think it matters really, to be honest with you, because once pregnancy occurs, there's a whole load of hormonal changes um, within a woman's body, which results in the growth of the womb. It, it doesn't just stretch, it, it actually grows. And it's a muscular organ. So it, it grows and it swells to accommodate the growing fetus um, and the fluid around the baby and the placenta and so on. And then once delivery occurs, the uterus contracts down and that's often one of the reasons why women have a lot of intermittent pain following delivery. Um, they're called after pains, and that's basically the uterus contracting right down. That's very interesting when you, when at a cesarean section, for example, if you look at the uterus, uh, it can go almost white because it's contracting so hard. 
uh, and it shrinks right down, um, you know, to, to a much smaller size. Mm. Uh, and that's the uterus contracting. But it, but it has the capacity, um, obviously, even after the menopause, um, with the hormonal changes associated with pregnancy, uh, to to grow to accommodate the growing fetus. Oh, listen, it's fascinating stuff, and thank you for talking us through it yeah. in. in uh, such great detail, Peter. Uh, Dr. Peter Boyden, former master of the National Maternity Hospital at Hollis Street. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.